Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, everybody. So today, the sponsor for my podcast is my other podcast. I am launching Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. It launched Monday, October 12th. And hopefully it'll stick around for a long time. It features uh, women talking to other women about their journeys of their bodies and getting tips and commiseration and all the things we need so that we don't feel alone in trying to make our bodies feel better tomorrow than they do today. So check out Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And it's also a community now on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. So if you fall into that category like I do and so many of us, um, come join us. The door is open. The first episode on day four of my children's book blast is with Kwame Mabalia. He is the author of Tristan Strong Destroys the World and also Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. He even has another book coming out in 2021 called The Last Gate of the Emperor. But anyway, we're going to talk about Tristan Strong today. Kwame is a New York Times bestseller, by the way, for Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, for which he received the Coretta Scott King Author Honor Award. The book was also named to Best of the Year lists compiled by Publishers Weekly, the Chicago Public Library, and the New York Times. The second book in the trilogy, which we'll discuss now, is Tristan Strong Destroys the World. Kwame lives with his wife and children in Raleigh, North Carolina, where he's currently working on a third book about Tristan. Welcome, Kwame. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So your latest book, Tristan Strong, part two, essentially, Tristan Strong Destroys the Universe, follows the award-winning first book. Tell me about this series. Tell me how you started it. Tell me about why this happens in the second book. Just give me the whole backstory of this phenomenal series. So the Tristan Strong series, wow. It's something that I've always wanted to create and be a part of is this idea of bringing forward these characters and stories that I listened to and that I read growing up as a child, bringing them forward for a new generation of of young readers, but also for readers who, older readers, who might not have had a chance to be exposed to the same material that I did. And so I love this, this idea of contemporary fantasy, this idea of magic existing in this right now, the time right now, because it's, you know, it's almost like an escape, right? It's almost, you know, we get to imagine, we get to enter this different world, this different realm through the eyes of a middle school student. And we all know that the world expands for us when we're in middle school. So what perfect, you know, what more perfect hero could we have than a middle school student who travels through this fantastic realm and learns of his own magical powers? Totally. I have two middle schoolers and this is my son in particular. This is like right up his alley. So he will be happy when I give him these, this whole series. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I actually loved, I read also your last gate of the emperor, which is coming out, I guess in May of 2021, but I got to see. (laughs) And I loved how it was described as an Afrofuturist journey to a galaxy far away. I mean, this whole theme running through all your books is sort of 
taking, well, let me, maybe I should ask you, what do you think the theme is coursing through all your books before I opine on it myself? I am fascinated and enthralled with this idea of exploring non-Western fantasy and science fiction, building magic system and, and imagining scientific innovations for future worlds through the eyes of African and African-Americans. It's a way for me to explore and learn more about my own culture while also sharing it with the greater world, while also just having fun and telling jokes and, and letting my, my immature sense of humor shine throughout the tales. And I saw in an interview you did with Rick Riordan Presents, who's your publisher, that your parents used to tell you these types of stories all the time, which is so nice. Tell me about more of the Af- African folklore that you grew up with. Well, I, they did a fantastic job in scouring, you know, this country. And when they traveled to Africa, scouring bookstores over there, looking for, for books that centered the African and the African-American character. And I always, I always tell this story, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to include and talk about Anansi, the spider, the trickster god, is that when we were growing up, me and my siblings, there were four of us, there were, we were sharing a bedroom. And if you've ever had to put multiple children to bed at the same time, it can be chaos. And so one of the ways they got us to calm down is they would play cassettes of the Anansi tales. And so we would fall asleep listening to the, you know, Anansi trick or be tricked and all of his different stories. And it holds a special place in my heart. And one reason why I wanted to make Anansi be such a central figure in the Tristan tales. Wow. So tell me about growing up more. That sounds interesting. Four kids in one room. I have four kids in my house and I can barely do it. What was it like being so close with your siblings like that, not having like any personal space? Like, did that make you want to turn to books for an outlet that you could have yourself? Or what was it like? I mean, I don't think you really you really think too much about it when you're younger, right? When you're younger, it's just like, hey, I have playmates. You know, they're here all the time. I, I, as you grow up, as you enter middle school and high school, yes, you definitely want your space. But for me, one thing special that I can remember is, you know, I'm the second oldest of the four that, that, that we shared the room. And so the younger two, they would fall asleep. And then it would be me and my older brother, and we're a little older, and we're not ready for bed yet. And so we would play this game called Brothers, right? And basically, it is, it's a storytelling game. We would tell the story, but at the beginning of the story, you have to choose, like, you know, what animal friends do you have, what kind of cars you have. You're basically, you're setting up the setting and the world building for this story. And it got to the point was, that's how we counted sheep. We never actually got to the point of telling a story. We would just talk to each other about, you know, what is this story about? Who's in the story? What type of cool moves and stuff will we do? And I mean, that I think is one of the most special memories that I have. It's falling asleep to this idea of telling a story. Wow. And then were you a big reader growing up? Oh my goodness. I was a voracious reader growing up. My mother heavily, you know, my parents heavily encouraged it, but my mother, what she would do is every Friday, she would take us to the library. And she said, you could check out as many books as you want to read. You just have to carry them and, and be responsible for them. And so of course, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm walking out carrying bundles of books and no matter what, Sunday or Monday, all of the books would be read and I would be anxiously waiting for the next Friday to come around. And what's hilarious is that my parents, they had this little thing that they would do for me and my older brother to, I don't want to call it tricking us, but to encourage us, right? And they would, they would say, all right, it's quiet time. It's nap time. You can either take a nap 
or read a book. One of the two things. And so, you know, I'm, you know, seven, eight years old. I'm like, I'm going to read a book. I'm not going to take no nap. And little, and now it's like, oh, that's all I can do is I just want to read. I want to read. I want to read. Oh, I thought you were going to say all you want to do is take a nap. Well, that too now. <laughs> now, now I miss those nap times. I, I really regret not taking advantage of them. <laughs> Me too. Oh my gosh. How old are your kids? They are 12, 9, 5, and a four-month-old. Oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. So we have, yeah, it's... Well, now I'm really regretting not taking advantage of that nap when I had the chance. So are you already reading to them all the time and trying to encourage this in them or how is oh, that going? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, for us, books have been the one thing where it's like, you know, we, it's not that we don't say no, but it's like, all right, you know, you want a book, let's get you a book. Books are, are you know, we encourage reading and literacy from a young age, you know, even if, you know, my five-year-old who's learning to read, but, but going through the motions and the act of opening a picture book and telling her own stories as she, you know, interprets the pictures. That's an act of, of learning to read. That's an act of reading. And so it's something that we've always encouraged. My nine-year-old is reading my book too right now and telling wow. me, you know, what her favorite parts are, which is cool. It's fun, you know, seeing her laugh at some of the things that I laughed at while I wrote the <laughs> book. You know, it's fun. It's rewarding in a way. So tell me about how you got into writing books to begin with. You loved to read as a kid, mm-hmm. realized you found your place in the world in middle school, realizing what was going on around you. Mm-hmm. Then what happened? I've always also been a writer. Now, the difference is, is I didn't write for others. I wrote for myself. Writing was, for me, an act of, of sharing and expressing my emotions that I may have not felt comfortable talking about. I could always just put them in a little story with a little character who was definitely not me. And so I've always been a writer, but it's only, I would say, within the past five, six, or seven years that I thought or dreamed about becoming an author. And that's because I received encouragement. I received feedback from people who said, you know, hey, some of the stuff that you, you write is really good. Have you ever thought about becoming an author or publishing it and sending it out? And I hadn't until that point. And, and that's when I really began to think that, you know, hey, maybe this is, could be a career for me. I never dreamed it would be my only, my only career because I'm a scientist. You know, I went to school for biology, chemistry, and I worked in the sciences after I graduated. And so it was always like, hey, you know, this is a hobby that's now a little bit of, you know, I can make a little money from it. And now it's a career, which just just goes to show you that you never know where you're going to end up in life and to never, never self-reject, never gatekeep yourself out of trying and doing something. Yeah. I read you were a pharmaceutical metrologist, right? What does Mm -hmm. that even mean? So metrology is is just the, you know, the calibration of instruments. Basically, I would travel around to different people who manufacture drugs, Tylenol, Advil, you know, inhalers and stuff like that for, you know, one of my kids is asthma. And so I would travel around and I would make sure that the instruments that they use to manufacture the medicine worked right. Because you don't want to, you know, say you're taking the box says you're taking 500 milligrams of ibuprofen and then you're only taking 400 and you're wondering why the pain isn't going away. It's because, you know, maybe the instruments weren't working right. And so that's what I did. I traveled around and it was, I loved it. It was a great job and I was sad to leave it, but I'm happy to say that I've been able to incorporate a lot of the characters that I met along the way, a lot of the dialogue that I had, the conversation and a lot of the settings into my own books and stories. So then how did you end up writing the first best-selling Tristan Strong? Like, how did that 
happen? And then what was it like when you found out that it was such a success? Well, you know, we learned that Rick Riordan and Rick Riordan Presents, The Imprint, were looking for African-American stories, African-American mm-hmm. storytellers. And so I, you know, I think it was over the, the winter break for five days, five to seven days, I sat down and I wrote the opening three chapters and then a synopsis of what would become Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. And they came back immediately and they said they loved it. Now, I had written the now infamous Gum Baby scene where Gum Baby breaks in and, and tries to steal Tristan's journal. And Gum Baby has, was a fan favorite. And from the very onset, from the very beginning, there was truly something special about these two characters and the way they interacted throughout the story. And so, you know, Disney and, and Rick Riordan Presents, they loved it. And they said, we wanted you to be a part of the imprint. And I said, That's amazing. Oh my gosh. So what's your process like when you're working? Do you work like right there where I'm seeing you or where do you like to work and how long does each book take and all that good stuff? Now I just, I just let you know that I have a four month old. Yes. So (laughs) I, I write in fits and spurts and and when, you know, because my wife, you know, she's, she's gone back to work. And so a lot of the times we'll pass the baby back and forth. We'll take care of him. She's watching him right now. I'll watch it when she gets on her meetings. And so it's really about, you know, right now taking advantage of time when it becomes available. Sometimes that might mean writing, you know, 100 to 200 words. Sometimes, you know, it's 1 a.m. in the morning and I'm, you know, writing two or three chapters. You never know. And there is no schedule right now. It's take advantage of what you have and try to, to create, you know, the final installment in this story and do the best job that I can with it. I feel like the combination of pandemic plus infant must just be, I mean, that's, oh, I don't know how you get anything done. Oh, it's fine. I love it. It's a dream. It's, it's, it's that sarcasm. It is. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're is, no longer friends here. This is, not, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's difficult. There's definitely a period of time there, a month or so, where I absolutely struggled. I think I maybe have got, I wrote all of, you know, a chapter throughout that whole month because it was so difficult. But a lot of creative people, you know, were dealing with that at the time. Quarantine, being restricted, you know, having to adapt to new to new ways of handling life, both professionally and personally. But thankfully, we're out of, you know, I, I shouldn't say we're out of it, but I've become accustomed to it, working around it. And, and we're going to get this story done. We are going to get it finished one way or another. Wow. And I heard that you are hard at work on the next book in the series. True? Finished? Book? book no, not finished. I'm so close. I'm so close. And you know that last 5% is going to take the most time because you're wrapping up a series, right? You're, you're putting a stamp and concluding a character's journey and their growth. And you want to do it in a way that, that closes the door on this story arc, but it doesn't close the door on the world. You can still imagine them having adventures and going off. There's no, you know, finality. It's the end for now, dot, dot, dot. So is this going to be a movie? You mentioned Disney earlier. So Disney, you know, Rick Riordan Presents is, is an imprint of the Disney Books collection. I, you know, I don't think there's any author out there who doesn't want their story to become a movie. And I'm really, really, really hopeful that it will be. It's just, you know, hey, we need more readers. We need more fans to shout about it and to, to, to draw attention to it. The more you read and share and the more people like you have me on to talk about it, you know, the more the chance there will be that it'll be a movie. 
Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I could play a tiny, tiny piece. Of, uh, in that. When it comes out, I will be like, that's all me. That was all. That was because of my interview right there. <laughs> what advice do you have to aspiring authors? I mentioned it a little bit in the beginning, but what I would say is that as writers, you will meet so many different, what we call gatekeepers, the people who will either allow your work through to the next level, to the next rung in publishing, or will, will reject it and send it back. You will meet so many of those gatekeepers who control access, but the very first gatekeeper you will meet will be yourself, right? You cannot self-reject. You cannot a gatekeep yourself. You cannot say, oh, my story isn't good enough to go here, or my writing isn't great enough to do this. You have to be your own biggest fan, promoter, publicist, and really energize your, your yourself. So don't self-reject. Submit your work. Submit, submit, submit. You say yes, even if you think everyone else will say no. You say yes. Okay. Saying yes. <laughs> Just out of curiosity. So what ended up happening to your other three siblings? Are they are any of them authors or what did they end up doing? And are you guys still close? Oh, uh, we're, we're still close. They are, we have, uh, oh, my, my sister, you know, just recently got her doctorate. So she's, you know, she's Dr. Mbalia. She's the third Dr. Mbalia of the family after my parents. And so it's really, really cool. She's definitely an inspiration. My brother is off doing amazing things. I don't even know what he does because he's like, <laughs> you know, I say, you know, we, we look at pharmaceutical metrologists. He's doing something. He, he worked with the NOAA, the National Oceanographic Association of America's He's just off doing, you know, wonderful things. And then my other brother is a teacher. And like, as a fa- coming from a family of educators, both my parents were professors. My wife started off as a kindergarten teacher. I think, and as someone who, who interacts with teachers on a daily basis, you know, as an author, like there is, teachers get so little credit for what they're doing, both, especially right now during this pandemic and just in general. And so, you know, they're, my siblings are off being awesome. And I'm out here just writing them into books and making fun of them. That's amazing. Well, you can write my son's teacher and my five-year-old son. We had curriculum night last night and his teacher said that she has now gotten certified in both skydiving and scuba diving. You would never know from looking at her. I mean, you just, I would, anyway. So I felt like that was like a James Bond story in the making, you know? Sky, so so she just, she just, the go from, I don't know if it's the same day, but she does them both now regularly. Just that's, you know, what, you know, good. Right. That's fantastic. You know, I will live vicariously through Through that teacher. teacher. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank goodness, I guess, for summer break for, for the teachers. But yeah, although not these days. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. I'm so glad I could help this become a movie and (laughs) you will be entertaining my son at boarding school very shortly when I send him all this and have a great day. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Zibby. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast. Oh, good. Okay. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to day four of the Children's Book Blast. Hope you'll come back tomorrow for our final day. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know I enjoyed recording it. Don't forget to check out my new podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Pretty soon, moms won't have time to listen to podcasts. 
and check out the Instagram community that goes along with it. And if you would like to join, please request to join. It's for anyone who wants to feel body better in their body tomorrow than they do today. And it's a supportive group of like-minded souls who just need the community to achieve their goals. Moms don't have time to lose weight. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Music.